Cheers and welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, where it's always fun to eat, drink, and be merry. We are the podcast where the wine is fine, the information is solid, and the conversation is easy. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin, and today our show is focusing on the sommelier community and the profession. And um, it's all about saving our psalms. Um, during the time of COVID, we've been hearing all about restaurant closures, winery, tasting room closures, and there's been a lot of emphasis and stories about supporting those folks, but we haven't heard a lot about supporting the sommelier community. And so today our show is all about Save Our Sommeliers, and we are so glad that we've got four terrific guests to help us out on this. That's right. We want to thank you all for being here and also let our listeners know that we are recording today using Zoom. So we want you to bear with us because sometimes the audio quality can be a little spotty but it does allow us to get sick people in the room, so to speak, even during a pandemic, and talk about what's been happening with sommeliers. So joining us today is Chris Blanchard, who co-founded the United Sommelier Foundation, and he is also a master sommelier working with Vine Hill Ranch. Also with us today is Tanya Pitts, sommelier and wine director at One Market Restaurant in San Francisco, Jennifer Locke from Crimson Wine and also a founder of Support Our Sommeliers, and Adam Sweeters, Corporate Wine Director of Dynamic Hospitality in Chicago. Thank you all for joining us today, and we're grateful that you took time out for us during what has to be one of the most challenging times in your careers. So we'd love to um, go around the, the table and have each one of you tell us briefly who you are, what you do, and kind of life before COVID and what it's like now for you and your, your career. And um, Adam, let's start with you. Hi, yeah. Uh, so my name is Adam Sweeters. I'm the wine director for Dynamic Hospitality here in Chicago. I'm also the creator of the late uh, wine event called Sound Madness, um, which has actually been rebranded to Wine Rival thanks to uh, the NCAA his uh, cease and desist that I got during COVID. Yeah. So a little more stress on, uh, on the action, but um, yeah, uh, a summary of life during COVID. Um, you know, my day to day normally is overseeing our seven properties here in Chicago. Uh, we have a steakhouse, two Italian restaurants, a Mexican restaurant, a gastropub, um, and a nightclub. So previously I had a team of sommeliers that I would oversee kind of direct the lists, um, direct training, et cetera, do the, um, you know, the purchasing, be responsible for all the, the back end and work. And, uh, after COVID I basically became a high paid, uh, delivery boy and would run out a bunch of orders to very hungry, uh, patrons that were no longer uh, allowed in our restaurants. Um, I spent a lot of time stuffing cookies and bags, uh, handwriting thank you notes to all the people who continue to support us. I, it's, 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 it's almost undescribable what restaurants are going through right now. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to be in a group where we have, you know, seven very strong restaurants in the city and we're a little more equipped to weather this, this kind of storm than a lot of restaurants. Um, 
you know, and a lot of the small, the mom and pops and the sommeliers in those communities, unfortunately, probably aren't coming back to a job. So, um, you know, I consider myself wildly lucky to be in this position. But, um, yeah, the last three months, we just kind of started getting out of it a little bit last week. But the last three months, uh, you know, I guess everything I loved about doing what I do was just put on the shelf and uh, we're all just fighting to survive right now. So very interesting times. Very challenging and really tough. Tanya, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You're in San Francisco. I'm in San Francisco, and um, I'm the sommelier and wine director at um, One Market Restaurant, um, formerly uh, Lark Creek Restaurant Group. And I have been in my position for 13 years now, and my restaurant has been open for 27 years, and we are a pillar in the community, in the financial district. Um, my day-to-day, I would, you know, come in, walk the floor, speak to guests, say hello, check in to make sure things have been stopped the night before in the cellar, check to make sure my orders had arrived, check in with private dining because we have a large private dining program, and make sure that those orders were correct and set and ready to go and answer emails for wines for private events um, for the regular restaurant, set up tastings, set up uh, tasting notes for staff because I do staff training every day with wine. Um, I also mentor um, my staff and kitchen staff that is interested in wine um, as well. And so life's pretty different <laughs> for me now, as well as being on the floor um, six nights a week, um, which is awesome. by choice. Yeah. Um, even after being in the industry as long as I have, you know, three decades is a long time. <laughs> but um, because we are such a large restaurant, um, whereas most restaurants pivoted very quickly, um, we kind of set back and watched the landscape. We had a, a labor force of about 100 people, which we immediately laid and furloughed those people off because we didn't know what was going to happen. And the majority of those people are, are still uh, furloughed and, and laid off and just keeping the key players um, in the restaurant, chef, general manager, partner, and private events. And if people have questions, um, about the day-to-day and what needs to happen, they can, you know, call on me um, because they've now opened up very recently a uh, curbside pickup for wine, cheese, champagne, and caviar. And last weekend, we started offering prime rib and salmon dinners complete with, um, with cocktails. But um, so for me, I'm just kind of on the sidelines and having worked as long as I have and just on the hustle for a long time, I've just kind of taken this time to sit back, reflect, do lots of virtual tastings, studying, and a lot of self-care and just figuring out what else is there now because of COVID and things are going to look different for us in our community. For sure. Um, and Chris, tell us uh, what's going on with you. 
Yeah, a lot of self-care here. And that means uh, cocktails, wine, margaritas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to manage uh, kids. I mean, that's been the biggest thing is trying to, wow, you know, keep keep working and, and manage the, you know, homeschooling and now summer. Geez, I mean, it's pretty nuts. But I really miss the old days. I mean, right up until, you know, the 16th, I was supposed to do uh, an event down in L.A. at Spago. And uh, that got canceled. And then just like everything started shutting pretty much that day, which was, uh, what, a Sunday, Monday, uh, Monday, right? And uh, it's just been insane. And then I, you know, got furloughed for a while and then got back on with the PPP. Thank God. Had to go on unemployment, which was really uh, unbelievably a pain in the butt, you know, to try and get that together, but helpful. And and then, you know, I mean, where do I start about how things have changed? What, what I do, my job you know now is with the vine hill ranch vhr the, the wine from oakville uh napa valley and so i'm the national sales uh, director so you know i've been been trying to keep uh yeah it's, it's a weird thing like do you, what do you do you know restaurants are starting to open hey do you want to buy a three pack you know it's like can't, there's none no. of that going on you know what i mean it's just it's a whole different world and the the united somnia foundation that you know i founded with christy norman has uh, been keeping me busy as treasurer, you know, writing checks. I wrote 25 this morning, you know, take them down to the bank. You know, it's like, so that's, that's keeping me busy and trying to help out the, uh, the Napa restaurant community with, you know, sidewalk dining and shutting streets. And it's just nuts. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, there's so much going on right now. I mean, there's so much to talk about and, um, I, let's, I, we got to take it point by point really to make it happen. You know? mm-hmm, for sure. Doing okay. And Jennifer, um, now you, um, being with, um, a large wine group, I think you probably have a different perspective, but how have things changed for you and the sommeliers working with Crimson Wine? Um, well, I mean, we are, we're a group of wineries. I'd say we're, we're, we're kind of a small to medium wine company actually compared to, to some of the larger players. And we, you know, we're um, a group of wineries that sort of represent unique places and varietals and sort of varietally true wines. Um, and because of that, um, thankfully, a lot of our wines um, and our relationships were with the restaurant community. I mean, we sold a, some of our wines in particular were only sold in, in restaurants. Um, and so I guess I've, well, one, I'm also the, a new CEO. So I took over the role at Crimson um, the first week in December. So it's kind of been an interesting ride to come in and, sure. and quickly pivot. Um, uh, I guess I sort of look at it as a, as, a, as a very large macro and micro problem. I grew up in the restaurant business. I started uh, busing tables when I was 16 years old at a restaurant in Seattle called Ray, Ray's Boathouse, which is sort of an institution up there, and I worked there for 10 years. And my grandmother had a catering business. I have three stepsons, two of whom are in the restaurant and hospitality industry. And I think actually, as much as it is about the impact of the Psalms, it's actually the impact in our communities and the impact that this role, that, that the the potential risk and danger of restaurants potential of, of not coming back um, has actually on the socioeconomic impact of our neighborhoods and our communities because so many people have found their footing and found their life's work and their passion through perhaps certainly when I was growing up a more non-traditional 
path. I mean, all my friends went to be lawyers and doctors and things of that nature. And I was sort of the black sheep because I, you know, wanted to go run restaurants um, and open restaurants and, and fell in love with wine. So I think, um, you know, when all of this happened and, and we started to understand the impact of the restaurants, my initial response was just sheer sadness and just, you know, I think unless you've been in the industry to really understand the amazing nature of the collaboration and the friendships and the commitment that this industry has. And, 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 and we came up with this program called support our Psalms because truly what the restaurant community gives back, I think in many ways, people probably have no idea of actually of, of the cultural and, and sort of the, the underlying influence that restaurants have in, in the places um, certainly that we live and work and in Napa Valley, obviously being probably one of the greatest examples of that, um, of certainly as a destination, not only for winery, but folk for culinary. Um, so for our company, it's been a time of, of constriction and, 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 and self-reflection and reevaluating um, and focus. I would say that all businesses um, in this industry, whether you're on the production side in wine or in, in um, retail or in, in restaurants is around focus. So I'm sure for Adam and Tonya, um, Tanya, excuse me, um, you know, the amount of wines that you continue to carry and the amount of wine that you're going to sell and like reevaluating um, your, your, your programs is also a huge bit of this as much as it is trying to figure out, um, you know, when and hopefully if everyone returns back to work. So we've been trying to collaborate and to the best of our ability, um, work with Psalms um, and keep our, our teams on. Similar to Chris's company, we were fortunate to receive one of the loans. And so we've been able to keep our, our teams whole. Um, up until now, that loan is expiring. And, and now we're going to have to make some tough choices because like restaurants are direct to consumer business and in tasting rooms and, and places like that have been massively impacted. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a far reaching, far reaching situation. Um, and uh, yeah, so trying to give back where we can and remain resilient and, and using this crisis quite honestly to um drive harder on some initiatives that we needed to anyway, some of the incoming trends that we've seen and not, not waste this time to, to be complacent, but, but actually take this time to try to make um, impact and be more relevant for the future. Talked about that in a little bit, but I did want to ask both Jennifer and you, Chris, about the foundation work you're doing, because there's been a real effort within the restaurant community and beyond in the wine world um, to help support and save our sommeliers, and that means uh, donations. So people have been giving money to help uh, sommeliers who have been out of work for the duration of COVID-19. Can you guys tell us about that effort, Chris? Should we start with you? Sure, yeah. It's... um... <laughs> it's been really quite amazing. So as I was saying before, on that day, you know, I, I had to stay home from LA and we went out with my family to eat at a local restaurant. And my friend said he was getting laid off tomorrow. I wasn't sure what he was going to do. And that night I got a text from a friend in Vegas who, you know, with his two kids, he's a single dad, was like really freaking out about what to do. And, you know, I, I went outside after everybody was asleep and it was just... I was thinking we got to do something. And I texted uh, Christy uh, uh, Norman down at Spago. She works as a sommelier uh, there at Spago restaurant, Beverly Hills. And I said, man, we, what, what can we do? We got to do something because people are, this is going to be bad, you know, and people are freaking out. And she said, oh, I should start a GoFundMe page. And man, I didn't have any, any idea how to do that, <laughs> especially not like at one in the morning. But um, anyway, I figured out how to do it. 
it was called like emergency sommelier fund, you know, that opened on St. Patrick's day basically. And people started giving money to it and we were hoping to get, you know, $10,000 or so, you know, which, and then the donations kept coming in. Uh, and we started to get applications for people that were, were needing some money. And Christy got on the phone and, and got a bunch of people together. We have seven board members, including, uh, you know, a couple of master sommeliers and a master of wine. And, and we all just started like reaching out for companies as much as we could to, to raise some funds that we could then send out. And, and we decided to take these applications because we didn't want to know who anybody was, you know, as board members to vote on. So everything, everything comes in completely blind. We don't know who the people are. We don't know where they work. We don't know what city they live in. All we know is their, their history, like how long they've worked as a sommelier and, and um, you know, their background in hospitality and uh, basically a personal essay or story about how they're doing and if they're getting unemployment and what they need, you know, like they need some money for rent or they need money for groceries or pay like an electricity bill or gas or whatever, you know, just normal stuff. And, um, and then we started sending money out and today I'm the treasurer. So basically every, every day, if I get a check in, you know, I go, go to the bank with my mask, deposit it. The, the money comes here to my address and, you know, I put it in the bank and then I start sending out checks, you know, like all day long, uh, to people around the country, you know, all over, all over the United States. And we've raised, you know, I was looking at the, as I say, I'm the treasurer, I was looking at the money and we're. Uh, you're not going to believe it, like $850,000 in uh, funds from major corporations, distributors, small little wineries, regular people, you know, just send in, you know, 10 bucks or 25 bucks. And, you know, that uh, that money is still rolling in. But of, of that, you know, I've sent out a quarter of a million dollars and $500 checks to sommeliers who just, you know, need the money and we're yeah. still continuing. We just approved, you know, went through another 150, uh, 150 uh, recipients applications. So I'm sending those out, you know, currently. And uh, it's just been so amazing to see, you know, all these companies get together and, and support, you know, the people that have supported them, you know, all this time, you know, working sommeliers who get, you know, beat up all day by, you know, suppliers and sometimes customers and chefs and general managers going to work early, you know, come home late. And then it turns out they're the first people that get, you know, axed, that get uh, cut from the job. And then of course the last ones to be hired back because what else are they going to do? You know, like, like, like uh, you were saying, I mean, basically, uh, you know, fill bags, do takeout orders, you know, that sort of thing. And these are, you know, some people at the beginning of when we started this were saying, Oh, you know, sommeliers, you know, the elitist people and you know, all these sorts of things. And, you know, it's not, it's just like working restaurant people and they, they, they're there to create a service experience, a dining experience to make your dinner better. You know what I mean? It's not a bunch of snotty kids who are, you know, trying to force orange wines on you or anything. It's what, <laughs> so what if there are some of those people, you know, it's, it's just regular people that need help in, um, you know, in basic necessities of life. And, and there's been no organization ever for a for sommeliers. I mean, there's obviously educational um, uh, organizations, but nobody's there as a sort of bartender's guild or a restaurant workers guild mm -hmm. just to help yeah. out uh, people that don't really have a voice currently. So that's where we are today. Great. And I know, Jennifer, what are you guys doing? Uh, so Chris has got the United Sommelier Foundation, but Yours is support our sommeliers. And so tell me about the work that you guys are doing. 
Yeah, so um, similar, I think, to Chris's, when this transpired, we were trying to think of creative ways to not only help, but engage the sommelier community. And as I mentioned, a lot of our wines are, you know, exclusively sold or primarily sold in the on-premise. So we launched a, a pretty, honestly, it's pretty you know, guerrilla marketing idea where a lot of um, wine companies, we pay influencers or people pay social media influencers to create content. And I um, went to the marketing department and I said, I don't want to pay anybody uh, for marketing content unless they're an unemployed sommelier. And so the concept was as simple as that, which was to kind of put, put the Psalms to, you know, help them obviously financially, but put them to work doing the thing that they love to do and doing, talking about their passion, and albeit it's not on the dining room floor, maybe it's in their kitchen or in their patio or at the grill, um, but this idea of asking Psalms to come participate and create content in telling stories about our wines, um, because we were also, uh, you know, pretty significantly impacted as direct-to-consumer is a big portion of our business. So it seemed to me like a, a win-win um, opportunity. So the, the general gist of it is, is that the Psalms um, create videos for us or vignettes, and we pay them like we would normal influencers and then for any um, they get a promo code and so for any residual sales they basically get commission um, and, and again we, we stood it up pretty quickly it's been pretty great to see we've actually now launched in Canada um, so we do have some sommeliers up in Canada starting to create content for us as well I I'd love you know I honestly with everything going on I was hoping to even bring in some other wineries and I think it's something that we'll continue to do and we've we've learned a lot um, in, in engaging with the Psalms and, and Adam's uh, done some work for us and uh, we've had some pretty creative and amazing uh, content come our way. So I think we're going to continue to ask Psalms, even when the restaurants reopen to partner with us and, and kind of bring again that in, in dining experience to um, alive on, on camera. Um, one thing about Psalms and I was one myself, so I can say this is like, you know, most of us like to talk um, and we like to talk about wine. And so asking them to do that on videos has not been, a, um, been too hard of a request. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you've all talked about pivoting and um, different things that you are doing that you weren't doing before. Um, so I'd like to talk about, you know, what that pivots, what what you all can do to make yourselves more valuable in, in the um, profession. And like Adam, you were saying you, you were bagging um, food to go and all that. It's not something you probably trained for or ever anticipated doing being a sommelier. Um, so what are you doing to stay, um, I guess, make yourself valuable? Yeah, I mean, bagging food is shockingly difficult, actually. <laughs> um, but no, I, my job title for the time being has changed drastically. So I, I've been in the restaurant industry for, this is my 20th year. Um, and the entire time I have been lucky enough to avoid operations. So I've never had to manage a floor. I've never had to open a restaurant. I've never had to close a restaurant. And, uh, tonight will be my third close in a row at my steakhouse. So kind of transitioning for the time being away from my role to, you know, be an operations manager just because it's needed. We don't have the funds right now to bring back on our full manager staff. I mean, if you just kind of do the math, we're allowed to bring in 25-ish percent of our customers back. Well, that's probably gonna relate to 25% of the revenue, which is probably going to relate to 25% of the staff you can bring back. 
hopefully your landlords are being, you know, kind to you and, um, you know, giving you some leeway on your rent and your other bills. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, the whole all hands on deck thing, I mean, it, this is it. This is it. I, I mean, I'm making drinks behind the bar, you know, I'm busting tables, which I've did, did before, but honestly, the closing of the restaurant and opening the restaurant thing, I was, it was very stressed. I'm like, no, no, no. Like as the sommelier in the, uh, in the company, they all look at you like you're the smartest guy, which I'm far <laughs> from. I just know a lot of words that they don't know. So I seem smart. Um, now my true oh, colors have come out because it's <laughs> like, wait, I got, I tell me all the doors I have to lock again. So, and they're like, is this guy who we thought he was? But no, it's all in good heart. I work for a great company. Um, but that's just one of the many things, you know, I'm, I'm picking up the phone, still doing to go orders to go is still a very large platform of what we're doing right now. Um, but you know, as all joke, actually more of a joke, it's, you know, I, I'm afraid I'm going to get really good at this. And then they're, and then my employer is going to be like, Hey, <laughs> right. You can do all this other stuff now. Okay. But, um, you know, in a time of need, we're, we're, we're all just doing what we, uh, what we can do. We have a, you know, full capacity here at the steakhouse at prime and provisions. We can seat about 550 wow. and we're operating with, with, uh, two and a half managers right now. Mm. So it's a very large operation. Um, obviously, we have limited seating, but that's a very large space to, you know, split up 14 shifts between two and a half people. So, yeah. Wow. This time is so difficult for everyone and clearly for you guys especially, but I wonder if you've tried it all to peek into the future. So as things are starting to reopen around the country, what does the restaurant world look like for you? Adam was just saying that he's wearing a lot of different hats lately, and I'm wondering how you see yourselves progressing as we get into the summer and then the fall. Do you see yourselves getting back on the floor talking to people about wine and helping them with their wine purchases? Do you see yourselves going back to a sommelier normal? Well, my restaurant has 448 seats and we also have three dining, private dining spaces on top of that. So we're probably looking at a whole nother 200 seats. Um, and so it, it means redistributing those spaces to be able to social distance um, diners, which we actually had done in the very beginning to begin with. Um, so there's been lots of construction um, to have um, plastic partitions um, in between people. There's uh, banquettes and um, booths also in the restaurant so that people feel safe. Um, also, putting in a whole new uh, point of sale system, something that's touchless. Um, and it's just, it's going to be different. You know, we talked about outdoor seating, which is happening. Um, bought the furniture and all the dividers for that. And so it's just, it's going to be different. And of course, it's not going to be full steam ahead. So that means people are going to have to be brought back in increments for private dining I'm starting to get inquiries for private dining for October. And most of those are um, actually trade events, believe it or not, is what those are. So I just, I think we're not going to see that really kind of uptick until probably latter part of 2020, beginning 2021 is probably what we're going to see with that. 
And our rules as sommeliers, some people will leave the floor. And I mean, we've kind of already seen that happening, taking on other roles um, as uh, operational people, general managers, um, going to work for distributors and um, suppliers, and then shifting gears and going to work for wineries as well and being sommeliers at wineries. And it was interesting to me that we were starting to see that happen much more quickly, um, especially with the younger psalms that had not been on the floor as long, just wanting to make that transition and having a different quality of life. Interesting. Um, and in terms of how sommeliers interact with customers, with guests, um, do you anticipate spending less time at a table? Because, you know, especially at the fine dining establishments, you know, that's one thing you really talk to the guests about, the wine and food pairings and any questions. And then what about the wine list? How are you going to handle that? You know, um, and, and service even. Is table service going to be the same? Or are you going to pre-pour, take it to the table? How's that going to work? Have you guys thought about that? Things will have to be um, pre-poured. Um, which wines by the glass were pre-poured to begin with. And I'm actually almost wondering if it would be much more sanitary for by the glass to present the glass and pour table side. Um, But you're going to be wearing a mask and gloves. And there's just something that's really very off-putting about that, especially in... um, a fine dining setting and being able to have a conversation with people. But I think also because everyone's famished to have that, that experience and that closeness that they're used to having that they are able to have when they come into a restaurant, coming into their favorite place, you know, you sit down, your bartender knows what you're drinking you know, you know, just about everyone on staff and everything's just done for you. It feels like home. And so there'll be a certain amount of that, but we are going to have to keep some distance and keep some space and be smart about everything and wash your hands and keep everything clean. A lot of cleaning. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry, this is Chris. And I was just going to say in Napa, you know, we were one of the first... Uh, counties to open in California, which was uh, sort of good and bad in a way on Memorial Day a weekend. And when we went out and the places were packed, you know, it's a, with a lot of tourists, which was, you know, kind of unusual and not doing the distancing or mass as much as they should have, which was worrisome to me. Right. And we have seen some of the cases going up, but um, in restaurants like Ken Frank at La Toque, who and mustards and different people that I've talked to are saying that the, the guests are staying sort of longer and they're spending more money and they're having, you know, a cocktail at the beginning. They're, they're doing stuff like foie gras or something expensive, you know, three course, four course, five course meal with, uh, after dinner drinks and, and a fancy bottle of wine. So wow. at least it seems like people are, are out and that's hopeful, you know, for all of us spending money so that, um, you know, hopefully restaurants get back on their feet and people get rehired. And, but, you know, it's still, everything's still up in the air. You were saying earlier that uh, in Napa, Main Street was closing for restaurants or closing to traffic so that restaurants could come on in and fill the space. And Yeah, we've been, 
um, uh, there's been four of us that have this sort of uh, committee where we're trying to push the uh, Chamber of Commerce and the City of Napa and the City Council to uh, you know, allow for more sidewalk seating, which uh, has been great because the, the beverage alcohol beverage commission here has been just fantastic and allowing uh, it, you know alcohol to be served in the sidewalk areas and expansion. And we we got them to you know reduce the fee to uh, have an expedited application for sidewalk usage and extra usage and parking lots and that sort of thing to put tables. And hopefully we're pretty close here. It looks like to maybe having uh, Main Street shut down for a test run of about a month and then maybe sort of permanently from then on so that the area restaurants near there can put tables out and benches and whatever and, and, and get some of their seating back. We'll see. We just started outdoor seating in San Francisco as well um, last week. And those that didn't have that before now are allowed to do that. And the city actually gave them permits for free to be able to do that. No one had to pay for that. That's great. And I like in the, sorry, I like the mayor breed, the mayor of San Francisco said publicly during a speech that if just do it, if you get into any trouble, we'll back you up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old, uh, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go. Such a, such a, Adam, what, it, what's going on in Chicago in terms of yeah. the planning so outside? Yeah, Chicago sounds pretty similar to uh, California, San Francisco. We had um, uh, we opened last uh, weekend for the uh, the outdoor dining, and it's I, I, I like to, I think Chicago's just a little more casual. Most of the people we're seeing coming out um, are they're just ready to come out. You know, um, I'm again lucky enough to uh, work for very successful restaurants and all of our restaurants um you know last friday and saturday were on hour and a half waits just to get a table out so the people are hungry they, they want to come out they want to spend money um, they want to support us uh the gratuities we're seeing on checks to the servers are insane nice. i mean they That's probably awesome. i think our company average uh, last year was about 21 percent uh overall gratuity it's got to be in the high 30s so people know that we're hurting. They people they want to support. Um, it's, it's it's just really heartfelt to see it, and it's just really great that these people want to come out and um, you know hurt the people that have been hurting the most, which is us. Sure. Being part of the, this world, you all know this, but what, what about for our listeners? Can you describe? why sommeliers are important and what you guys bring to the dining experience and to the want, you know, like help us, maybe Jennifer, you take this one. Um, why do we need sommeliers? What, what do they bring to all of us in terms of wine knowledge and um, help when we're looking for the right beverage? Um, well, as a, I was never officially titled a sommelier, but I, I certainly did my time writing lists and running beverage programs back in the day. But, you know, I think as you look at it from a business perspective, it always sort of struck me as odd that the back of the house or the culinary programs certainly were always the reason that many restaurants became famous or became established. And it was always come for the food and, and hopefully you get a good glass of wine and if you know any better. And I think the sommelier movement and the food and wine movement collectively together has done more for our industry single-handedly is sort of what I would say is sort of the second renaissance. Like the fact now that we have experts on the floor that can demystify or break down wines um, 
and spend enough time and attention similarly as you would in the back of the house from, from a food perspective is actually bringing in a much more holistic and meaningful experience. And I think, you know, people can get their hands around, I think, food because we've been talking about it longer. Wine is, as Chris mentioned, like orange wine, or there's some of these trends that I think just can be intimidating. Um, and wine historically has been um, perhaps perceived as not being inclusive or, or something easy to understand. And I think the Psalms and the majority of them that have done such a great job is kind of breaking that down and, and, and inviting people to, to explore and maybe try something that they wouldn't have um, tried otherwise um, and really broadening and branching out uh, their experiences. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I chose this profession because I remember that moment when I had a meal with wine and they were so much better together than sort of the sum of their, the sum of their parts. And, and um, yeah, and I think, um, you know, having that, that engagement and the table side, it just, it, it elevates the experience to a whole new level and playing field that just going in and having a meal simply just doesn't offer. Sure. Um, now, one thing, um, you know, are there going to, you mentioned, are there going to be jobs to go back to for many of your colleagues and friends in the industry. And also I'm wondering about education. Um, I know that the quartermaster sommelier exams have been put on hold, probably WSET as well. I have certifications in both. Um, and I, but I've been trying to stay educated, doing Zooms, virtual tastings. I know Tanya, you've mentioned that too, but yeah. I wonder how is this going to impact people who want to become sommeliers who want to make wine their profession? Well, I think what we're finding now, um, especially um, within black wine professionals or influencers that are interested in wine as well as other people, they are going to be looking to get certifications with um, WSCT um, more so than not, um, because my thought is the majority of them are not wanting to really be on the floor, but they're wanting to pivot, educate, create other um, other existences for themselves. You know, be that taking people on you know wine tours uh, in the U.S. Um, internationally creating experiences in people's homes, um, in other venues. I mean, so far I've seen all sorts of things. I've seen people, you know, have wine parties on yachts by themselves, you know, and have it broadcast, all sorts of things. So people are really being inventive with themselves, you know. And as I said, some sommeliers were moving off from the floor to begin with. You know, wine lists are going to get smaller, much more focused, much more concise. Um, and as I see it, just means I need to taste more wine and I will be tasting more wine and the wine list will change more often because you have to keep it fresh and exciting for your guests that walk in the door. One of you guys mentioned earlier that some of this, some of the changes that have been forced upon you guys, um, about, upon the industry, some oh, redesign was needed. Can you elaborate about that? Uh, like this pivot and this redirect of the industry, is, is any of this beneficial in any way? 
or is it all just horrible news? Is there anything good here? No, it's some of it's beneficial. So it depends on what side of the the, the fence you're on, on that one. <laughs> so if you're still around, it's probably going to be beneficial to you. If you're not, obviously it's not beneficial to you. Um, you know, case in point, we in my company we had two separate people: one doing the wine programs and one doing the beverage programs. As of last Friday, I knew I now do all of it. So it's, it's like a lot more work. Um, but again, in the in the forward, in the coming months and the years, it'll uh, essentially be beneficial to my own personal career. Obviously, for the counterpart, it's not beneficial at all. I think you're going to see these things moving forward. As I think Tani was saying about wine lists getting smaller, staffs are going to get smaller, yeah. uh, especially for the foreseeable future. Um, again, I think it's opportunity, especially coming out of this. I, I don't think it's all darkness. I think for the, the lucky few who do get through this, I think once this is done, times are going to be better than they ever have. Um, it's a sad it's a sad thought, but when people are allowed to go out to restaurants again, it's a hard fact, but there's going to be probably 20, 30% less options to go to. So that means if you're still alive, if you're still surviving, you have that many more people trying to get into your venues. Um, so if you're the lucky ones to kind of make it through the storm, um, I do think there are good times coming and I do think things will get better. Um, but we were saying this early about some of the employees coming back, you know, I can't stress enough to be the more you have on your resume, the more you can do for a restaurant, the more valuable you become. So, I think Chris and Tanya were talking about this earlier. The it, it was already starting to happen where you know psalms were becoming psalm managers. You know they were half a manager, half a psalm. I think it's going to always be that way after this. I think the the role of I'm just a psalm, I'm just the wine buyer, I'm just doing wine stuff. I mean less than one percent of the jobs from now on. Um, you'll have your you know your three star Michelin restaurants that are still doing that kind of stuff, um, but. If you wanna, if you wanna set yourself ahead, you better be able to do a lot, um, and that's kind of where I think people are going to be able to survive and ultimately benefit. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long road back, but I, I agree entirely that the people that have the experience are going to become even more valuable, and and a lot of the uh, the youngsters that are just getting into this, you know, off the bat, have a couple of years in want to take exams and be well known for, you know, being whatever unusual or something, probably going to have to maybe find another career, you know, because a lot of these sommeliers that are, want that, that aren't interested in the guest experience as much, that are more selfish. I think those are, those are the ones that aren't like, you know, going to be as valuable and maybe it's not going to be as, as interesting anymore. There's just not going to be those jobs. And the, and the other thing you mentioned, you know, with the, with the master sommeliers and all that stuff, you know, there's, Still exams, but the, uh, I mean, I'm sitting here doing text right and left because there's a lot of stuff going down. You know, this this very moment, and that we it's going to force the uh, the court of master sommies to really re-examine. You know, <laughs> you know, it's very hard to get through to them. And uh, you know, we've had a resignation today over a lack of a statement about diversity in the organization, okay. which is very super disturbing to me. And it's hard for me just to you know have this conversation without saying that uh, some of these older organizations really have to get their act together in order to make some changes. And these sommiers aren't 
going to want to take the exam anymore. You know, it's, it's frankly somewhat embarrassing for me, you know, to, to be a part of an organization that doesn't give any sort of statement. And there's, there's a much, I mean, obviously COVID and all this stuff is like the most devastating thing, but we're in the, the midst of an amazing new civil rights movement with people becoming aware of, of what's happening in this country. And it's, it's, it's devastating, but also very exciting. Whereas there's a lot of forcible um, accountability, which um, I, th- I think is good news, but uh, it's just like, that's, I, there's, you know, there's just so much going on in the world today. It's just hard to, it's hard, hard to yeah. respond. Well, you know, and Chris, that's one of the things I wanted to talk with you all about is um, given what's going on socially in this country over the past couple of weeks and the issue of diversity um, in the wine world, in the Somalia profession, I mean, how do you think that needs to be addressed? Mm-hmm. Great point. Mentorship. We need mentorship. You know, and and I do mentoring. Um, I know that there are others that um, mentor as well. But, you know, what I've heard echoed recently is the fear of not having a mentor that is in your corner that understands you, your background and where you come from and who you are as a person. Um, And for me... A mentor is someone that is supportive, that believes in you. And if that person didn't believe in you, they wouldn't be your mentor to begin with. And that is mentoring. Right. And, um, you know, how do people go about creating relationships with um, a potential mentor? Do you have what tips or advice do you have? If you have someone that you um, admire um, in the industry, approach them and ask them to mentor you. You know, when people um, show me interest and say that they're interested in becoming a sommelier or getting on the floor and learning more about wine, I'm supportive of that. You know, but they have to be serious about it and, you know, not waste my time, you know, because I'm busy. Right. You know, but I'm all for, you know, teaching people and and bringing people in, you know, because it's needed. That's what happened to me, you know, many years ago. There were those that saw me, understood, understood that I had a palate and said, hey, you know, this is really what you should be doing. You should really be a sommelier, you know, but it's difficult when you don't have role models or you don't have people see people that look like you. So you don't really know that it's something that's even possible Mm -hmm. for you. Right. Right. We need to see more people of color in this profession. Yeah. And we're here. But we're yeah, scattered yeah, everywhere, yeah, yeah. you know, and I'm actually really excited about um, a platform that um, wine writer Julia Cooney um, is putting together, which is yes. Black Wine Professionals. And, yes. you know, it's awesome and amazing to see everyone all, you know, in one composite together, yeah. you know, those of us that didn't know that the other existed all over the world it's just it's 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 really wonderful and to be able to um to just contribute to that you know it's really 
it's amazing. Yeah. Well, Julia, it, she's an amazing, amazing person. It's so much energy and such a force. So yeah, yeah we'll have to get around. Sips, sips, hooray. Exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad to hear though that there, there is a recognition mm-hmm. long overdue that uh, diversity inclusion has not been a part of the sommelier world and, and many, you know, or the wine industry in, in general. So it, it's, it's about time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Jennifer, just, um, you know, how do you look at the whole um, issue with diversity and what are you all trying to do to address it? Well, I think um, spot on, right? Like you, I worked for a company once and I remember we were in front of the investors and we were doing a fair amount of business in Asia. One of the investors said, it's interesting to me that your board of directors and your executive leadership team has one basically Asian member, and that's actually your target consumer for your biggest place of growth. Wow. So now coming in as a new CEO, I feel very much the same way. Like, I mean, we need to diversify um, our voice. And, and, and that means that we need more people of color, of, of gender, of all sorts of levels of diversity, quite honestly, to survive. Because my personal story around this is, um, that Tuesday morning, you know, we had a big debate on Blackout Tuesday, what we were going to do. And I, I told the company, I said, do not, we're going quiet. Um, and we don't, we haven't earned the right to actually say anything because we haven't done the work. So I got on the phone um, with a gentleman that works for me actually in Portland who runs ironically our digital uh, media who happens to be African-American. And, and he's a young guy. And I called him and I said, I... I'm at a loss to know how to respond right now. I'm getting all this pressure to post, but I don't feel like I've, I feel, it feels like I'm just taking, I mean, if we'd come out three weeks before or two weeks before and we had been a, an early adopter and really stuck our necks out to do something, I said, right now, what I want to do is just actually take the time to come up with a really meaningful response. And, you know, I am a middle-aged white woman, you know, uh, and yeah, I wanted to do the right thing. So my question to him is like, what, how do I respond to make you proud to work for this organization? Mm-hmm. And we had a really great conversation about it. And it's not about posting on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. It's about advocacy. It, it isn't just about, I mean, I think mentoring is so important, but you need people like in my role, people like Chris, people like Adam, people who have a seat at the table. Um, Tanya certainly is a leader in the San Francisco community for how long you, I mean, you know, your reputation precedes you and you have a voice. Like we have to insist that our organizations do better. Um, And that starts with something, and it's super easy. Like some of the things we're coming up with, you know what, when we have jobs, we're posting them in different places. We're not just going to winejobs.com anymore and just hoping that somehow diversity happens. uh, and, um, and we're actually, we're publicly traded. So we're actually coming up with an, a completely new, um, ESG and in, initiative and all of that. So unlike other privately held companies, we actually, um, you know, we'll be publicly held accountable for putting our, our, our quote unquote money where our mouth is. But for, for me, first and foremost, it starts with diversity in our workforce. We have to do a better job of having a, a, a more diverse workforce. We've been done a lot around gender. Um, but but racial diversity and quite honestly, um, uh, LGBTQ, another area for our organization that really needs to, um, you know, we need to lean in harder on. Yeah, terrific. Uh, it's, you know, it's not words. 
it's, you know, this time is um, a time for reflection, just not on, you know, because of COVID, but because of also all the social changes and things are happening really quickly. So but COVID, I think someone asked the benefits like COVID. Yes. I actually think the silver lining of COVID mm-hmm. is that it created space and an, a level of anxiety and all that. Like, I actually think that the, the Black Lives Matter movement and some of these things may not have, um, may not have had the level of intensity and and sustained as long as it has if we had not been dealing with COVID on top of it. Sure. So if you do look for silver linings, I do think that that, for whatever reason, which is everyone was in such a different frame of mind, like things have to change. Frustrated, and then you overlay this on top of it, and it's like this, this voice of social injustice, um, which has been with us forever. It's not a problem that happened overnight, and don't yep. suspect we're going to fix it overnight. <laughs> It just all came bubbling to the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think people's minds are being opened. Eyes are being opened and minds are being opened as well. And so um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know all of you guys are busy and have a lot on your plate. Chris, as you said, is answering texts as we talk. But um, <laughs> I want to uh, thank you. I think this is a very hopeful place to end anyway, because I think we're talking about the positive changes that will be sure. coming our way. So, And um, before we go, I would just like to um, have you all just tell our listeners how they can help you know how can they donate to um, the united sommelier foundations or support our sommeliers and how can they help folks like you adam and you tanya yeah it's uh, it's easy for us because we have a pretty good website it's uh, united sommeliers which is plural foundation united sommeliers foundation.org and then you can go on there and and if you are and it's very important if you're somebody that needs some help you know, just scroll down to the bottom where it says, you know, apply basically, and, and you can go right to the application and that goes right to us. And then if you'd like to donate, there's donate and there's testimonials from some really good chefs and really good songs and, and people, but that's the easiest way for us. I appreciate it. Yeah, mine's, mine's uh, super easy too. So uh, go to restaurants, drink wine, tip well. <laughs> that's it. Done. <laughs> I echo that. Eat, dine out, order out, buy wine. Support support accounts that are doing good in your communities, and 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 actually check to make sure. Don't assume. Yeah. And Jennifer, how can um, our listeners find the videos that the sommeliers have been doing with your wineries? So we do it by wineries. So we have a portfolio of wines. But if you um, if you go to support our psalms, um, two M's, uh, it will pop up and it will show you the list of properties. But the easiest way to do that is by following us on social media platforms, either Facebook or LinkedIn. And what are those handles? Uh, Pine Ridge Vineyards, uh, Archery Summit winery um, are the two main wineries and Segacio family winery. Well, thank you again for being here, all of you. Adam Sweeter, Tanya Pitts, Jennifer Locke, and Chris Blanchard. We wish you good health, renewed success, and easier days ahead. And we um, are grateful for the time you spent with us. So uh, cheers to all of you and sip, sip. Hooray. Hooray.
<laughs> like that. Yes, nice. yes. And um, for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us as well. And um, to um, follow us, we are at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So please tag us with um, any of your social media posts. And um, to find out more about our podcast and some of the other episodes that we've done surrounding what's going on with COVID-19 and the wine industry, our website is sipsiphoorayspodcast.com. And um, I also want to thank all four of you for joining us today. Um, really great discussion. And, um, you know, we um, look forward to um, getting back and um, visiting and dining out and drinking more wine. <laughs> Cheers. Sounds right, good, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Sip, sip, thank you. Take care. Right. Thank you. And that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Absolutely. Um, if you really like what we're doing, please share it with your friends and family. And to be sure that you don't miss another one of our super fun episodes, go to our website, sipsipparaypodcast.com, and subscribe to the podcast. That way, you'll automatically know when we drop an episode. Absolutely. Get on board. Follow us on the gram and Facebook, and be sure to tag us at Podcast. And that way, we can stay in touch with you. Thanks for coming along, and we'll see you again next time. Sip. Zip, hooray! Worried about keeping up with your fave friends all summer? Or posting every perfectly pink sunset you see? Don't sweat the connect. You can have it made in the shade with four lines of unlimited data for $100 a month. Scroll the staycation pics, find your new go-to takeout spot, or catch some rays on video chat. Whatever you and the crew are into, all the data makes it all that much better. Smile. You're on Cricket. Cricket Core acquired on four lines. Data speed limited to three megabits per second. Cricket may slow data speeds when the network is busy. Additional fees, usage, and restrictions apply. Hey, this is Jill from the Container Store. Oh. Is there something wrong? I just thought a virtual designer would be a cool robot. I could do a robot voice if that helps. Maybe. Hi, I am Jill. Let's design. Nope, absolutely not. Regular voice, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at impressions. Enjoy free virtual in-home closet design and up to 25% off closet systems with the Container Store's custom closet sale. The Container Store, where space comes from.